You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we come to the end of the book of Titus, so please turn there with me, if you will, to Titus chapter 3. This is, comes at the second to last book uh, that is in our Bibles that Paul wrote. comes right before Philemon. And then in Hebrews, it's kind of the last big book in the New Testament. So it's kind of toward the end of your New Testament, the book of Titus. And we're in chapter 3. For some reason, I find these things interesting. You may not. But this series started last November Uh, And it has taken us 17 sermons to walk through this short three-chapter book. Um, But nevertheless, we're coming to the end. Whether you find too quick or too slow, um, I'll let you be the judge of that. But this is a a wonderful book that is Paul's, uh, Paul's instructions to a minister who is remaining in Crete to continue to faithfully minister to the flock there. And we come to these final greetings and the benediction of grace this evening. So let's read these verses from Titus 3, verses 12 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need, and not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be to you all. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, as I said, this is Paul's letter to Titus, that ministry associate. He calls him his true child in a common faith. As Paul and Titus together ministered on the island of Crete, Paul had left to go to do other ministry endeavors, and Titus was left. And Paul's instructing him what to do in Paul's absence. And what we have here is Paul giving specific instructions. It's a very practical book for how to, quote, put what remained in order, he said in verse 5 of chapter 1. Put what remained in order in the churches across the island of Crete. And some of those things that were to be put in order were that he was to lay a foundation for church government, for the future of the church there, by appointing elders. Elders who would lead the church, who would be faithful to rebuke unbelief, who would be faithful to build up God's people on the island of Crete and the various churches there. So that foundation of church government. We even got some quotations from the BCO, the Book of Church Order, last time. It's important, and Paul is laying that foundation here. Paul himself is rebuking false teaching, sinful practices, telling Titus these have no place in God's church. He gave instructions. Much of chapter 2 and chapter 3 are instructions for how Christians are to live in community with one another, how we're to minister to one another, how older women are to teach younger women, how older men are to be an example for the flock, and so forth. How organic and natural ministry towards one another is to be done. How we are to act towards the world. 
how our lives are to be examples of the grace of God. But of course, there's also rich theological teaching in this book as well about our faith, our knowledge of Christ, our pursuit of godliness, the promise of eternal life, the absolutely truthful character of God, his promise in the gospel of eternal life, his gospel and his word, how it comes to us even through the preaching of the word, Christ's coming in grace, his bringing salvation, training us in godliness and to renounce all sin, teaching us to wait for Christ's second coming in glory, the work of our great Jesus Christ, God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify us. Oh, how lost we are apart from Christ in our sin and how we need a salvation by the gracious working of Christ apart from anything we've done. But we're saved by his mercy only. The work of the Holy Spirit regenerating and renewing us, justification by grace, our sonship and our eternal inheritance. We could go on and on. The theological depth that we've seen and the riches of the promise of the gospel here. But these four final verses are really a standard way of concluding a letter in the first century. We see really these three parts. There's personal notes and then general greetings and then this benediction, this blessing of grace. And I can't say that there's some overarching theme or structure here other than what I just said. And so what we're going to do is we're going to consider five gleanings from the closing of this book, five gleanings from these three verses. And just a note before we start, the first gleaning is probably longer than all the rest combined. So as it drags on, don't worry, the other ones are quicker. So let's first look at this first gleaning of, these, of this conclusion. And it's this, the importance and the sacrifice of the missionary call. The importance and the sacrifice of the missionary call because we have here in verses 12 and 13, six missionaries who are either uh, explicitly or implicitly a part of these discussions. And the first two are Paul and Titus, the one who's writing the letter and Titus who's receiving the letter. These are both missionaries. As we said, they were both here ministering in Crete and Paul had left. And here, Paul is calling Titus to continue his work, but in the winter, Paul wants Titus to leave. He wants Titus to come meet him. He wants to, to reunite with Titus. We don't know why. We don't know if it's for more teaching or training or that he's going to move with Titus into another phase of ministry in another place. We don't know. But Paul was going to stop for the winter in Nicopolis, and he wanted Titus to come with him. Nicopolis was about 300 miles from Crete on the northwestern uh, coast of Greece, five to 10-day voyage. And in the winter, it was difficult to travel. So Paul was going to stay put for the winter. And he wanted Titus to come with him. So you have Paul and Titus implicitly a part of this, but explicitly named the first two are Artemis and Tychicus. Apparently, these two were engaged with ministry, in ministry with Paul. And one of them, Paul was going to be sending to Crete to replace Titus. Titus was likely not the long-term pastor there either. As Paul was there for a season with Titus, Titus was remaining for a, a little bit longer, but he was sending one of these other men to continue the work there, the pastoral ministry there. We don't know about Artemis. We don't know anything about him. This is the only time he's named in scripture. But we know a little bit about Tychicus. He accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys, and he delivered the letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians. And it's possible even for those letters that he acted as something of a scribe. 
So he was very close to Paul and Paul hadn't decided yet, but one of these two was going to go to Crete. It's going to take over the pastoral charge of this entire island. These two men were engaged with Paul, whether they were in Crete or they were going to stay with Paul or go someplace else. They were engaged in the missionary work. And then number five and six of these missionaries here were Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. These again were missionaries. They were likely the two carrying the letter to the island of Crete. And so Paul was telling them, these men carrying the letter, welcome them, give them all that they need. They're part of the work of the church broadly. And this is proof that lawyers can reform their ways and can be productive in God's kingdom. Zenos the lawyer. It's probably a Roman lawyer. We don't know if he was a full-time missionary or did these things in different seasons of life. But God used him and he used Apollos. As we see through Acts, Acts 18 and 19 was a part of Paul's missionary journeys as well, ministering with him, a very important person in the early church. And here they were couriers to encourage and bless God's people as they took this letter. So a couple observations as we look at these six missionaries, these six individuals, and there may be here up to six families, maybe wife and children. We don't know if they had wives and children. Likely at least some of them did. But these six individuals and maybe up to six families who are sacrificing so much for the sake of the Christians in Crete and Christians all over the world. And think about their labors. It was hard. It was difficult. Not only seasons away from family, whether an immediate family or extended family, but they're giving up worldly comforts and enjoyment for the sake of others, for the spiritual well-being and building up of others. Think what the families who were left back home were experiencing. They had to pick up the slack in the home. They had to earn the extra income that, that was not being earned while the husband wasn't there. And the work they're doing is full of opposition, full of danger. You didn't know if you took a, a boat to Crete if you were going to come back. The danger and the uncertainty was difficult work, but it is important work as well. Think about if we didn't have these six men in the early church. We wouldn't have had the book of Titus. We wouldn't have had many of the books in our New Testament. We, would have had, we wouldn't have had the, the, the Christians across the world and the building up of their faith. What these men have done, we're laying a foundation for Christians for generations to come. And this is how Christ has gathered his people all across the world. And he continues to do that through missionaries today people who do work similar to that of these six, going, leaving their homeland, going to a far country. Why? In the world's eyes, it's crazy to pour into people there who either don't know the gospel or they don't have local leadership there. And they provide gospel comfort to the Christians all across the world. And so I think as we consider these people, these men and their families and their lives, it ought to lead us to great thankfulness, not only for them, but the missionaries who continue to serve today because God is still using them in important ways. We just heard an example of some who are in Central Asia. God is using them. We have a wonderful opportunity this coming week to thank God for that. As missionaries that we support as a church, the Jennings will be coming here to redeem our church. This isn't often that we get to do this, but our own missionaries that we pray for week in and week out and that we get their newsletters from if you've signed up for that. 
Those people that we directly support as a congregation are coming here. And we need to give thanks to God for them, for all that they're sacrificing. So as they come in our midst next week, let's honor them. Let's encourage them. Let's thank God for them. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. But we need to thank God for the missionaries who serve today. But also, even maybe more uncomfortably, we need to consider what sacrifice you can make for the kingdom of Christ. What sacrifice do you need to make? What sacrifice are you able to make for the church? We can all pray. We all have to pray for the church globally, the church around the world, but also pray how God can use you to be a blessing to Christians across the world. And so, yes, consider full-time callings as missionaries or in local Christian ministry, in the church or even parachurch. How might you be able to use those things God has given you to serve Christians around the world? Or maybe you don't leave your vocation where you are now, but staying in your vocation, there's a part-time calling even to help church plant here in Northeast Ohio. We have the church that we have supported and sent out in Kent. And these kinds of church plants, plants require, they need a strong foundation of godly, faithful, mature Christians so they can grow and reach their communities. They need mature believers like you. How can you be a part of that? Maybe a part of the work in Kent. Or we're praying about what Redeemer might be able to do in the future with church plants. As as we continue to encourage the church in Kent, Lord willing, once they're uh, self-sustaining and they're particularized, they're on their own, Lord willing, we can do this again in the future. So be praying about how the Lord might use you in church plants down the road. So you don't need to leave a full-time calling, but it's a part-time calling to help plant these churches that even here in Northeast Ohio, we would love to see in the future. And of course, financial support. The sacrifice of the missionary call includes financial sacrifice for all of us. Yes, we give to Redeemer, and and yes, Redeemer gives to missionaries, but how can you even partner with a particular missionary so that your family can know them and pray for them? Maybe you can even visit them and encourage them. Pray how you can use all of your resources as we consider the importance and the sacrifice of this missionary call. So that's first. Let's consider now verse 13 a little bit more as we look to our second gleaning here. As we see the individual church's role in missions. In verse 13, Paul calls Titus, referring to to Zenos and Apollos, he says, see that they lack nothing. They're coming into the church in Crete. And Paul's saying, when they come, make sure they lack nothing. He's saying, support these missionaries. Support the ones who are serving you. The ones who are coming, delivering this very letter that you're reading. Make sure they lack nothing. It was Titus who was to make sure they lacked nothing. It wasn't Titus who himself fit and filled every need that they had. But Titus was to make sure the churches were fulfilling every need. Who's to appeal to the churches so that they would know what the needs are, how they can help. And it's really an all-encompassing statement. Lack nothing. This isn't just financial. Of course, that's where our mind often goes to first. But every other thing, whether they need rest, give them rest. Don't badger badger them and, and pester them. Give them rest. Give them emotional support. Give them encouragement. Whatever they need, make sure they lack 
nothing. And verse four, I think, has spe- verse 14 has special application to missionaries where we're called to devote ourselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. When there's an urgent need, particularly, we can help fill that as God's people. Commit ourselves to good works and supporting the work of the gospel around the world. So again, we return to the fact that the Jennings are coming next Sunday. They will be here. They will be giving a report in Sunday school. All of us are invited and all of us, I hope, will be there. There will be nursery for the, for the, the little ones, the smallest ones, but all the children's Sunday schools will be there so that we can hear what God is doing. And not only that, so that we can encourage them. So ask thoughtful questions. Don't turn your mind off while we're there. Ask thoughtful questions. That encourages them to know that we care to know that you ask questions, to know that you are concerned with their well-being and the spiritual well-being of those in West Africa. And while they're here, think about what can we do to make sure they lack nothing. Maybe children, maybe you can write them a card this week or draw a picture or something. If you don't know much about them, talk to me. I can send you their more, most recent newsletters. Talk to our missions committee. They can tell you more about them so you can know how to be praying for them. You can write them cards, send pictures of your family and, and say, hey, we're praying for you. We, we know who you are and we care about the work you're doing. See that they lack nothing. Yes, maybe you have financial resources you can share. Maybe they need that. See that they lack nothing. This is a great opportunity to fulfill the command to us that they have everything that they need for their ongoing missionary endeavors. So third, let's look at the next gleaning as we see here in active faith, verse 14. Paul calls Titus, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. The Christian's faith is active 24-7, 365 days of the year. There's no time that we are not pursuing the good works that Paul mentions here as an overflow of the fact that we are justified by grace, as Paul said earlier in this book. We now live a life of good works. And he says this, to devote yourselves to good works, but even more than that, to learn to devote yourselves to good works. We can love our neighbors. We can care for them. Yes, and the missionaries that come through and our neighbor who needs our assistance and our help and those in our congregation who need our help with with meals or with raking their leaves in their yard, whatever it is, find how to serve others. We never turn it off. We are always seeking the well-being of others. The gospel compels us, as this letter has shown. We love our neighbors because we have been loved by Christ. We are patient with others and their sins because Christ is patient with us. We have no superiority, but we have compassion for others. Because apart from Christ, we would be pursuing the things of the world as well. Beloved church, let's study and learn how we can be devoted to these good works as long as there's breath in our lungs. And so we come to number four. First half of verse 15, we see the joy of Christian fellowship. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. The first you in verse 15, all, all who are with me send greetings to you. That's you singular. To you, Titus. All those who are with Paul greet Titus. But even more than that, Paul steps back, greet all those who love us in the faith. So he's now talking about the whole church. So a particular greeting for Titus, but also greetings for the church generally. 
but a warmth that Paul shares here. Grounded in that unity we have in Christ, that Christians across the world have, even if we've never met one another. One of my favorite things to do on vacation is to worship at other churches. I love seeing how they do things, how it's different, but I love meeting new people. And in our fellowship here, I get so used to our church family and and how we grow in affection toward each other as we get to know each other, as we walk through life together. It's a wonderful, glorious thing. But but going to a new place reminds me that there's a, a natural, a basic love and bond that we share with all Christians. All Christians around the world. And what a glorious thing it is. I don't know if these people with Paul knew Titus. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But they can send their greetings with such warmth and fervor, how they care for Titus and love him. There's so much packed into that simple word of greetings. Oh, what a joy to have Christian fellowship in Christ. They want to greet every Christian as as they are united to them in Christ, and that is true for us. As we get to hear from the Jennings next week, we can send them back with our greetings to all the saints in Senegal. And we can warmly love those saints that are there because we are united together in Christ. The joy of Christian fellowship. And then we come finally to the last sentence of the book, the blessing of grace, where Paul makes that wonderful, short, but succinct and powerful benediction. Grace be with you all. Uh, This conclusion of the benediction takes us back to the foundation of the entire Christian life. It is the grace of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there is no Christianity. Christianity is not first and foremost about what you do. Christianity is first and foremost about what Christ has done for his people in grace. Paul is reminding us, to concluding on that note that rings loud through our ears forever and ever the grace of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This undeserved kindness of God towards us is manifest for us when Christ took on human flesh. And as Paul said in chapter two, when he appeared in grace, he appeared on earth to save us, taking upon himself human flesh, a human nature And his death and sacrifice on our behalf is what washes away our sins and his life that he lived perfectly on this earth before his father is what gives us perfect righteousness as we now stand before our father. And this grace is what we need to continue daily in the Christian life. We need his grace. It's not that we get more grace day in and day out. We have all of grace in Christ. We have the entire Christ right now, but we are being reminded here that we need to grow in our understanding of grace, grow in our apprehension of the grace that is ours in Christ. And this is what we need as we live daily, growing and knowing and living out all that God and Christ has worked for us. And this benediction is essentially a promise. It's a promise that God's grace will never leave his people alone. God's grace is relentless. God's grace will never let you stray too far. God's grace is always there, reclaiming you, training you, working within you. For all those who look to Christ, 
with sincere faith, God's grace is relentless. You can count on it. You can know you have never walked too far from our God. His grace is with you. He's working in you. His Holy Spirit is renewing you day by day. And so thus, we conclude a book about what God is doing in his church, about what God is doing in all of our lives through the church, through this wonderful institution that has been established for all of our spiritual well-being. The bride of Christ needs nothing other than the grace of God for our very existence and ongoing obedience to him. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. It is not what you have done. It is what Christ has done. And so, brothers and sisters, we train our eyes on him and we can know grace is with us. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.